Um, so to start off, to be honest, um, when Lawrence asked me to uh, share on Lament, I was actually really excited. Um, oddly, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to be super excited about discussing Lament, but I think it's a topic that um, deserves more attention in the big C church and in the little C church. Um, I think the church walks uh, well alongside those who are celebrating, but um, I think it's the suffering, um, which is what we're promised as believers that we shy away from. Um, it's awkward, so we kind of say things like, I'm so sorry, or we don't say anything at all because we don't know what to say. Um, but I'm excited to be able to share with you all just a little bit of the story that God has given me and carried me through in a season of lament and suffering since about 2014. Um, so to help you all understand how God has walked me through this season, um, I'd like to be genuine and open about my family situation and just about myself. Um, just as a quick aside, my uh, profession, I'm in the counseling uh, mental health area, so I talk about feelings and just being raw with people all day, so it just kind of comes naturally. Um, but back in 2014, um, I had just moved back to North Carolina to start graduate school um, at UNC. Um, and at the same time, my mother began experiencing um, issues with her memory. Um, she became very depressed, and at the same time, no one could give any explanation to her situation. After months of doctor's visits and testing, um, um, over three years ago, my mother was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's. Most of us have known or heard of someone with Alzheimer's, uh, like a grandparent, but my mother is in a unique, uh, rare 5% of people uh, with Alzheimer's um, who develop it before the age of 65. Um, she was diagnosed at the age of 62 years old, uh, which was devastating news to my family. Um, anybody who knew my mother before she was diagnosed, she was very um, just outgoing, uh, very like life of the party, uh, very outspoken, um, just, and the disease has really just changed her completely. Um, but one of the things I'll never forget is just walking around aimlessly for hours um, after I found out and just talking with God about this whole thing. Um, I don't recall being angry or questioning God, um, probably more so stunned, um, but I responded by clinging to God's promises and reminding him and myself of his goodness and sovereignty and asking him to use my mother's illness and situation to call the loss, namely my mother's side of the family, to himself. Um, well, the first year and a half after my mother's diagnosis, um, that was the hardest. I wrestled with God. I spent hours upon hours weeping, um, calling out to God, questioning whether to pray for healing, um, asking God where he was in the situation, begging him to use this to bring my brother and my grandmother salvations, scribbling uh, tirelessly in my prayer journals and uh, spending time in the word. And some days I didn't feel like talking to God at all. Um, I didn't desire to delve into the word. Um, sorry, I didn't want to be around people. Um, I became unbearably anxious about the future. Um, and I felt guilty for living in North Carolina when my mom was in Georgia and not being there to take care of her. Um, I now had all of these very adult decisions to make, like thinking about my mom's end-of-life care and important legal decisions and documents and, um, and major financial decisions. Um, and I felt like I barely knew how to take care of myself as a young adult. I had all these other plans in life, and selfishly, this whole situation derailed my plans. Um, despite all these things, what, sound, what stands out to me the most was the feeling of loneliness. I struggled and was frustrated with God for calling me to walk through this situation, and as I felt like it, um, alone. It felt burdensome and unfair to weigh others down with 
something God had called me to. Um, and initially, I didn't know anyone else who was in their mid-20s with a parent who was not only like terminally ill, but just slowly losing his or her cognitive awareness. Um, Alzheimer's is a really cruel disease, if you know anything about it, because I could slowly just watch how my mother, who was aware that she was losing her like mental capacity, um, she was unable to express herself, and uh, she just was becoming more cognitively unaware. Um, one of the things that I'll also never forget is just the time when my mom came to visit me in 2016, um, and we were riding in the car together. And um, this awareness that I was slowly losing my mother, the person who'd raised me, um, and just the person who she was, um, was just really fresh on my mind. Um, and this feeling that I had never felt before, um, it really came upon me as we were riding in the car. And there was just like this gut-wrenching like feeling of disgust, disgust for uh, this disease that was slowly um, taking my mother. And it dawned on me about a moment or two later that this was the result of sin in this world. This wasn't how things were supposed to be. Um, and I realized that this must be just a tiny, like this feeling must be a tiny sliver of how God feels about sin. Um, he's repulsed by it even more than I was repulsed by this disease and the result of um, the fall. Um, so for the first time, I felt God grew a really deep sense of longing for eternity, um, where God promises no more suffering. And just like that example, God used my suffering to grow and further a deeper, more passionate, more intimate relationship with him. I deepened my understanding of Christ to know suffering better than anyone else. I clung to David's psalms of lament, and as I still do, and boldly and unashamedly reminded God of his promises. Um, one of which was um, Psalm 6, verses 1 through 3, 6 through 9, um, which is an example of David's, and I'll say my lament as well, where it says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The, God, the, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. I think overall, knowing that the Lord had suffered, he truly knew and understand a pain and a suffering worse than, than what I was feeling was really a comfort for me. Well, um, just as the sting of accepting my mother's illness dissipated, I actually found out in early 2017 that my stepmother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. This was the third time my stepmom had actually been battling cancer. Um, in fact, she was actually in remission for a different cancer that she'd been fighting since 2015. I guess I figured she'd be okay because she was, you know, uh, participating in various treatments and battled two forms of cancer previously and successfully. Um, but after several months of trying various treatments and hopeless news from the doctor, she and my uh, dad decided to stop treatment so she could spend her final days at home instead of traveling between Georgia and Florida for treatment. It truly didn't hit me that she too was suffering from a terminal illness until February of this year when the doctor told her she had six months to live. Um, and at that point, it dawned on me that I not only had one parent who I was grieving, but I now had two um, who were both terminally ill. And I think on the one hand, this grief and loss was 
it was extremely paralyzing. Um, I told the Lord that I definitely did not want to do this again. Um, and I didn't know how I was going to be able to bear more of this. Um, but on the other hand, God had already walked me through a tough season. Um, God had assured me of his promises and been faithful in his promises before. Um, and God would continue to sustain and provide for me in my grief again. Um, the Lord had provided Isaiah 30, 18 through 19 as a reminder um, just earlier in my walk with all of this, which just says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Bless are those who wait for him. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. God had showed me early in dealing with my mother's illness that he, my father and comforter, um, is where I should run in my pain, hurt, confusion, and questioning. Um, I definitely am a person who likes to run to other people, but he quickly showed me that wasn't the answer to this by any means. And y'all, I don't want to paint like a picture that I was doing well with this all the time. I struggled even more than before. Um, I fell into a really deep despair. Um, some days I just couldn't stop crying when I woke up, or um, there were multiple days where I just couldn't go to work and I couldn't deal with other people's problems. Um, and I say it like that because, as I mentioned, um, I do counseling and therapy, and I'm a trauma therapist for kids, so that even added more to everything going on as well. Um, I lost my motivation to do a lot of things, and at one point, I was thoroughly convinced that God was just making me into a modern-day Job, um, or maybe Naomi. Um, I yelled at God on my drives to work, and I said things like, don't you, don't you even care about my family, um, or I, like, don't you, don't you care about us, don't you care about this suffering and it being so much, um, and I poured out my heart to him, and I think maybe just walking through all of this, I think I've always been a person that's very much just like, God, like, I'm going to come to you just straight as it is, so I'm really frank and bold with the Lord. Um, I think he, I know for a fact, he already knows, like, what I'm thinking or what we're thinking and um, what we're going through, so I don't think there's any point in, you know, tempering it for him, you know, just because we don't want to hurt him or anything like that. He can handle it, you know, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty frank in my conversations with the Lord, um, but to be honest, in my roughest moments, I lost hope. I really did. Um, I only saw misery and despair for my future for the rest of this year. I was waiting to move my 55-year-old mother into assisted living facility, um, which is the one place she said she never wanted to go. Um, and I was waiting for my stepmom to die. But all the while, God was patient with me. When I asked why, he was gracious enough to show me, not every time, but sometimes, and he remained a close friend, and he gave me just what I needed at the perfect time, like words and truth of encouragement and rest and weariness and friends and family and community to listen and pray and answers to many, many prayers. Um, and so kind of just to conclude today, um, it's been about three and a half months since my, since my stepmother uh, went to spend eternity with the Lord. Um, and my mother is in stage seven, um, the stage seven of Alzheimer's, which if you know anything about that, that's where she can't take care of herself anymore. She can't talk. She can't use the bathroom on her own. She can't eat. Um, she can't do a lot of things anymore. Um, and I wish I could say that things have gotten better. I wish this has like a, a really happy ending and that type of thing. But y'all, some, some seasons of lament and loss and grief, they're just long and they're hard. 
And some days, honestly, I feel like Eeyore, like all the time. But I think that's also okay as well. Um, God is neither surprised by this, nor has he left me or you alone. Um, He's not surprised when we question like John the Baptist, um, when we're driven to great sorrow and grief like Naomi, or when we ask God to let this cup pass like Jesus. That's why God includes these examples in his word as comfort and reassurance that he loves you, he hears you, he cares for you, he has your good in mind, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it, and he meets you just where you are. If you're lamenting now or when you experience lament in the future because suffering is promised to us as believers, it is. Um, I pray that like Paul and and Silas who prayed and and they sang hymns to God, that he would provide you unexplainable joy that causes others to see your suffering and ask how you were not only just like functioning, but how you're actually rejoicing in this. I pray that you would wrestle with God like Jacob and boast in your your weakness when God brings you to your knees. My prayer is that we, the church, would collectively bear each other's sufferings and possibly weep or sit together in the sufferings. Weep like Jesus wept. Um, Sit together like Job's friends, they sat with him. I pray that you would look to God's word, which provides so much comfort and encouragement while we lament and struggle. I pray that you would get um, on your knees and you would cry out to God with raw emotion and honesty because he's our father that loves us and cares about us. I pray that each of you, and and this might be a really bold claim, would actually ask God for suffering, that you might know him more fully, that you might understand and know how Christ suffered, and that your suffering might be used to boast in God's glory and fullness all the more. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Bree, for sharing your story with us um, and encouraging us and letting us lament together. Our scripture and our sermon today is in Psalm 22, but guys, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Um, I think I'd be remiss to just go right into the sermon right now. Here's what I want us to do. Bree shared her heart with us, and we're her family, and I think we need to respond together in prayer. But not just for Bree. You see, like, while in Psalms, and the meant in Psalms feel very personal, feel like a very individual thing, it actually was meant corporately. Uh, Christianity knows nothing about an individualized religion. It's all about a corporate religion. And the book of Psalms was meant as a corporate body to be sung together, to be used in worship together. So this is meant for the corporate body, the people of God, use these Psalms in their worship and in their gatherings. And so I'm going to ask us to do something a little um, weird Maybe a little uncomfortable for some of you today. This might be um, something that you might not be used to, but I just want to let you know that this is a safe place. I just want you to, if you're here in this place today, and you're in this season of lament, if you're here in this place today, and you're in this period of time right now where you're like, I am suffering, I feel like Job, I feel like Naomi, I, I'm, I, I hear what Bree's saying. If you're here in this place today and this is a season where you're saying, you know, I feel alone, I feel God is far away. If you're here in this place today and your heart is one that wants to cry out for joy but all you can really do is be broken down in pain, I want you to know, number one, that it's okay. That it's okay. And you're in the right place 
But what I want to ask you to do is this. I want to ask you today in a little bit, I want you to stand up. And you're like, oh no. I want you to do this for multiple reasons. One, I want you to do it because I want you to know that it's okay. I want you to do it too because I want us to pray for you. I want you to know, like Bree said, that we're weeping alongside you. That we're praying with you. That in your suffering, in your weeping, in your mourning, and in your lament, you're not alone, even though it feels like it. So we want to rally around you. And here's what I'm going to do. In a very little bit, I'm just going to ask you to stand up. And when you do, I'm going to ask people to come around you, wherever you're at, and I'm going to ask them to just pray for you. You don't have to tell them what's going on. They don't need to know. All they need to know is all you need to know. And all they need to know is that we've all been there. And we all understand what the idea of suffering is. We understand what it means to lose and to, have, to lose hope and, and to feel pain and to struggle. But ultimately, we also just, all we really need to know is that we have a Savior who ultimately knows. And we're praying in His name. And He heals. And He might not take away the suffering like that because actually He promises that we will suffer, but He will make good of it. He will use it for glory. And it's not meaningless, the suffering that you suffer. So in a little bit, I'm just going to ask you just to, to stand up. And what we're going to do, when we pray for them, to the people who are around, when you pray for them, pray for hope and restoration. Pray for peace and comfort. Pray for uh, a connection and a knowledge of God. And I want us to do this because I want us to know that we're family together in this time. We're com combining together in doing this. So here's what I'm going to ask. I know it's going to be hard, and I, I pray that you're bold in this. That if, if you're here suffering any kind of period of suffering, of lament, of maybe physical illness, maybe it's depression, maybe it's difficulty at work, maybe it's just a season of loss, maybe you're just feeling weird and bad, you don't know why. If that's you today, if you're in this season of lament, and you just will you let us pray for you? Please do not deprive your church family of the opportunity to pray for you and to love you. So if you're in this season, will you just stand where you're at um, so that we can gather around you in prayer? As these people are standing, and we encourage more and more of others of you to stand, will you gather around these people? Church family, will you go right now and just gather around these people? Will you ask them if they're comfortable with it? Will you, can you lay your hands upon their shoulders and upon their back? Will you pray with them? Will you let them know that they're not alone? And for those of you, if you can't get to them, just, you, you can pray for them right where you're at. You don't, if you can't reach them, you can just pray for them right where you're at. But will you let them know that they're not alone in their grief? As you're praying for them, will you know that you're beseeching a merciful, incredible, loving, giving Heavenly Father who hears all that we have to pray, hears all our needs, and who answers them? That his answer is already yes and amen. And as you're praying, let them know that you're with them, that you're standing with them, that they're not alone, that you know what it's like to suffer as well, and that they're not alone in their tears, that you can weep with them as well. And in this reminder, as you feel those people who are being prayed for, as you feel the, the, hear the voices around you, as you feel the hands upon you, may it be a small taste of the fact that our God in heaven has his arms around you and his voice is over you. And healing is yours and this, his power is mighty to restore you. So let's just pray for them right now.
God, as we come together as a congregation, as we come together as a family, praying for people we might not even know that well, but knowing that what unites us, what brings us together is stronger and deeper than anything that brings families or friends together. It's the love and blood and unity of Jesus Christ. That we come together as we choose this family to come together in. God, that may we weep with those who weep. May we cry with those who cry. May we suffer with those who suffer. May we enter into the place of darkness with those who are in the dark places, God. You've called us to be family together. That's what we do as family. So we don't know what's going on in everybody's heart. We don't know the pain and the suffering and the struggles and the strife. We don't know the dark places, but God, we do know this, that we want to be there with them. We want them to know that they're not alone in this place. That it's not crazy for them to feel this way. That it's okay to struggle. It's okay to suffer. It's okay to feel lament and to mourn. But we also know and we acknowledge and we want to pray that, that we want to pray for restoration. We want to pray for healing. We want to pray for hope. God, we acknowledge the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we know that one day, God, in Jesus, you're going to make all things new. Where there will be no more tears of mourning, instead there will be joy and laughter. Where you're going to take the sword and turn it into a plowshare. God, where the most ferocious of animals will lie in peace next to the lamb. And we pray for that day in the longing, with longing, with anticipation for the day where all things are made new. Till that day comes, God, we ask that you use even this, even suffering, even struggle to make us more like you and to advance the kingdom and to make that day come forward. We ask even now in this situation, God, that we get a taste of that future reality. We get a taste of that future uh, kingdom by the restoration and the healing that you bring now today. So will you bring forth healing and hope? Will you bring forth restoration? Will you bring forth, um, God, your goodness on this earth? God, we thank you for your goodness and your love. That you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we thank you that we get to come into a place like this, God, and choose to live in family and we can mourn with each other, weep with each other, love each other, encourage each other, and push and point each other towards Jesus. He is our ultimate hope. He's the one who heals. So we thank you in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. As you guys are making your way to your seat, if this is your first time here, or if this is like your first or second or third time here, this is not a normal Sunday. Just to let you know, for those of you who are like, oh, is this every Sunday? I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I'm just letting you know, one way or the other, this is not a normal Sunday. Um, typically, um, this is not what normally happens, but we just felt in our heart as we are, we're doing a whole series in the book of Psalms. And this, time, this psalm today was a psalm of lament. And I feel like that is something that we just don't often talk about and don't do well in the church. Um, it's easier just to say on Sunday morning when you see somebody, say, hey, how you doing? Doing well, man. Couldn't do, could be any better and kind of move on when in reality we're suffering. When in reality we're broken. And so we put on our best clothes and put on our makeup or put on, you know, make our kids look really cute and make it seem like we're so good and put together on a Sunday morning. And that's what the church has historically been known to do, right? Where historically the church has been known to be a place where you just look good, make your kids behave for just an hour, and you're golden and you're okay, and nobody will have to pay attention. They'll think you're a good family. Guys, that is not what the church is, and that's never what the church is meant to be. You can come here broken. You can come here with kids who misbehave. 
Mine do all the time. <laughs> and that's okay. Because that's, not, that's what we're about. We're, we're not a place where we're supposed to look good. We come to be a place where we're, we're a place where we come together as a family, as an army, as, as a movement, as, as, as a group of people on mission together. Isn't that amazing? And we need to be real in that. And real in, in that is that we lament together. I don't have time today to go into the whole exposition of Psalm 22 like I initially planned. This is actually going to be one of the longer sermons, but I decided now at this time, um, because of what we did instead, I'm just going to dive really quickly into just a couple quick thoughts on Psalm 22. And I just want to say this. I want you to know that the Lamentation Psalm is the most common psalm written. Out of all the genres and sub-themes in the book of Psalms, a psalm of lament is the most common one. It's the most prolific style in the book of Psalms. Do you get what that signifies? That it's normal to feel lament. It's normal to express your lament. To feel hurt, to feel sorrow, you don't need to hide it. You don't need to be ashamed of it. We tend to stay away from it. I love this quote, a guy named Henry Nouwen has this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. And I shared it today, and I was like, I wasn't sure how good of a quote it was, but I shared it with Josh, and Josh had like a tear in his eye. I was like, oh, that's a good quote. So I was like, sweet. This is his quote by Henry Nouwen. It says this, we tend to stay away from mourning and dancing. Too afraid to cry, too shy to dance. We become narrow-minded complainers, avoiding pain and also true human joy. While we live in a world subject to the evil one, we belong to God. Let us mourn and let us dance. Love that quote. Seriously, I love that quote. We, this is what we tend to be as, as people. I don't know if it's a Western culture, Eastern culture, whether it's just kind of the way we are as human beings, whether it's we kind of we become individualized as people. But we kind of tend, especially in the church, we kind of have this mentality of in the church in particular, you don't really mourn, you don't really express joy. You kind of go in between. Right? And this idea, we become like, kind of talk about the emotionally healthy people are the ones who don't go too high or too low. And I look at David in, 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 the, book of, uh, in the book of Psalms and his writings. I look at his history. I'm like, a man after God's own heart. That man knew how to be celebratory, knew how to dance joyfully. He was dancing in the streets and his wife was like, hey, king, you shouldn't be dancing like that. And he says, no, no I'm going to become even more undignified than this. He was dancing with joy, but he's also the guy who's saying, my my tears are ever before me. I'm weeping all the time. Guys, there's nothing wrong to dive into the, the depths of despair, to acknowledge the true heart of mourning. At the same time, there's nothing wrong to dance with so much joy. Do you get that? My mom, this is silly. I'm just going to share this with you. I don't know why. I don't know how this is. I don't know if this is an actual Korean thing or my mom just made up the thing because she's crazy. But there was this thing where there's a song or a nursery rhyme of some sorts that if you cry and then laugh, wait, your butt turns red or something? <laughs> Is there any other Korean person that can testify to this or am I the only one? Okay, never mind then. My mom might have made this up. She was like just like Korean nursery rhyme kind of thing, you know? And it was, it was, I think she was just making fun because like as a kid, kids do that, don't they? They can go from like, oh, everything is so terrible, I dropped a toy, ah, to all of a sudden, here's a donut, yay! <laughs> that's my son, at least. And this idea of like, oh, you're a kid, that's just crazy. And that's what, but that's what God allows us to feel in the whole range of human emotion. 
That's the beautiful thing about the book of Psalms. John Calvin says it's the anatomy of the human soul. The beautiful thing is we can, and he calls us and allows us to mourn, deeply mourn. Those who've lost, those who've suffered, even mourn the injustice in the world. God never says, oh, don't worry so much about that. Oh, you shouldn't care about that. You shouldn't mourn. You shouldn't weep over that. No, no, no. God calls us to weep and to mourn, and it's okay to do that in the church. We should mourn together. We should weep together. We should be heartbroken together. But we should also dance together. Now, some of you guys are not good dancers, and that's okay. That's okay. I'm a great dancer. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, no, not so much. But what I loved, I remember at Waypoint Church, we would have a string of weddings. It was not even that long ago. We had like a ton of weddings for a while. And every time there was a wait, like somebody at Waypoint Church got married, all these Waypoint Church people would go to a wedding. And man, I would look out on that dance floor, and I'd see those Waypoint Church people dancing. I was like, yes, this is my church people. Because like, they were out there breaking it down from the moment the music started until like the end of the night. They were going crazy. And I loved it. And they were all like sweaty, and like, like they're just, and they're not even good at it. They're not. I'm just saying. Yes, think you are. They're not. <laughs> I love it. Love it so much. Guys, we're called to both mourn and to dance together. And that's a good thing. Don't limit your human experience on this earth by saying you can't dance and you can't mourn. Do you hear me? If there's anything the Psalm 22 and anything that any of the Psalms should teach us is that we're called to both mourn and to dance. The book of Psalms, as we stated earlier, if you've been with us from the beginning, is one of instruction on how to live the most abundant life by living a godly life. We see this in Psalm 1 and 2, you know, kind of instruction of here's a godly way, here's the ungodly way. It's kind of an orientation for love. This is how you orient your life. Well, we're oriented by, by the word for godly living so we can live a righteous life. But immediately, right after that, in Psalms, we go to a first lament psalm in Psalm 3. And the bulk of all the lament psalms and all the psalms is found towards the beginning of the book. So what happens was, Psalm 1 and 2 tells us, this is how you orient your life. But then Psalm 3 comes along and says, this is the reality of your life. It's disorientation. Right? What happens was, Psalm 1 and 2 says, this is what you do. Godly living, read the word, walk in righteousness. Here's your instruction. But what we experience right away in Psalm 3 is, that's kind of not our reality. Right? Yes, all this stuff, we act this way, walk this way. Yes, we'll be blessed. But um, we're kind of struggling. And we're sinful, and it's not our reality. So Psalm 3 comes along, and we have, this is where we orient our life. Psalm 3 comes along, but now this is disorientation. We're in a season of lament. And from Psalm 3 on, most of the bulk of that beginning book of Psalms is songs of lament. And it talks about our disorientation. We see how we're supposed to walk, but something inside of us is just not capable of doing that. We try, we see righteousness, but we're not able to live up to righteousness. And we see the brokenness of the world, so we're in disorientation. But what's beautiful about the book of Psalms, it goes from there to then Psalms of thanksgiving and praise. Because what happens is this, this, this orientation to what we call to do leads to disorientation and when we see the reality of the world, but leads to praise because reorientation happens through the form of Jesus Christ. And our thanksgiving and our praise of what God provides leads us to an understanding of what was made wrong and the right way of living that's not matching up is now can be made new and right and through Jesus which leads to praise and thanksgiving. There's a journey that comes in the Christian life, guys, that we're called to. Is that we can look out and see upon the world, we see through scripture that this is, there's right, there's good, 
There is beauty. There is justice. There is righteousness. And we see that and we say, yes, that's the way it's supposed to be. But then we look and see the reality of the world and see there is injustice. And there's evil. There's darkness. And there's mourning. And there's things that exist that shouldn't exist. And in your own life, you feel ways that you don't ever want to feel. It's a disorientation. But it doesn't make the first orientation wrong. It just now needs something to complete it. Guys, that's the work of Jesus. Jesus comes and makes all that is wrong right by doing what was first called to be done in the orientation correctly. Being the just one, being the, the, the righteous one who fulfills all of the orientation so that we now can carry into a right way of living through his work and his merit. This is why I love Psalm 22 as one of the most beautiful lament psalms that exist. Because it's a powerful song of mourning, but more than anything, it's the most powerful psalm of hope. And here's why. Where else have you heard that first line in Psalm 22? Anybody? At the cross. That's correct. The first line of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's cried out by Jesus in the cross if you look at Matthew. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think he was just happened to, like, just happened to say those words, or was there an intentionality? I mean, there was an absolute intentionality, because if you look at what else was said in Psalm 22, it matches up so perfectly to what happened on the cross. So here's Jesus in his point of most intense suffering, pointing to this amazing lament psalm in order to communicate to us something in order to communicate to his people a message that he wants us to hear. And this is the message. Guys, I want you to understand that this is a famous psalm. Psalm 22, the people of Israel, they knew this psalm. Specifically those lines, that line, my God, my God. That's the only time in all the psalms where it has a double like that. It's the title of God, doubly like, placed and repeated like that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are bold words in all of Scripture. So when Jesus cried that out, the people who heard it, the people who read it, were like, oh, he's referring to Psalm 22 immediately. They would have known immediately he's referring to Psalm 22. And what's he saying in this psalm? I don't have time to dive into all this, but he's crying out in this psalm that he laments with you. That all the lament that we felt, that he's expressing that. This song of lament that represented the people of God in their darkest of times. This song of lament that they would sing in their deepest of sorrow and grief. Jesus is saying, I'm proclaiming that psalm right now. He knows you and what you have been through. And I want you to hear this. Jesus has been through the worst mankind has to offer. When we say we feel alone and we feel forsaken, this idea of feeling far away from God, this could not have been more true at this moment for Jesus. As he took upon himself the sin of the world, as he took upon himself our guilt, at this moment, he experienced more suffering than we could ever imagine. Not just physically, emotionally. And in this moment, this Jesus can look at you and look at us and he can say to you, I know what it's like to lament. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to feel pain. So when you say, my tears have soaked through my pillow, Jesus can say, my tears have soaked through it as well. And when you say that I felt like, like my heart is just dying inside of my chest, he says, my heart has also felt like wax melting inside of me. 
When you feel pain that is so intense that it feels like your bones are being spread apart, Jesus said, my bones were literally spread apart, and I felt that intense pain as well. And I know you. See, here's the amazing thing that we have and we possess in Christianity and having Jesus as our Savior, is we have a Savior who suffered. We have a Savior who experienced the darkness. We have a Savior who experienced the death the depth of pain and suffering that there is to feel in this existence. And he knows you. And he knows what it's like to suffer. And he weeps alongside you. What I want you to see in this lament, and there's a ton, I can go into how this is a prophetic, this is, yes, a psalm that love lament that King David gave, but this is ultimately a prophetic psalm given for Jesus. And this is an expression of his lament. But I just want you to hear this today. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, I want you to know that there's a Savior out there who suffered for you, who's experienced what you've experienced, who knows the depth of your hurt and your pain, but who provides hope in a way that we can't even fathom. Because our Savior suffered, because our Savior died, because our Savior placed, took upon himself the guilt of all the mankind, we now have hope and, or, and reorientation that can occur. Uh, we now have hope in what was meant to be can be made right because he paid the price and the penalty to make all things new. And because he did not stay dead, because he was risen again, and because he's promising a new day, a new kingdom of a new heavens and a new earth, we now can proclaim and hold on to that promise that it can be made for us and we can be restored. I don't know if every one of you guys in this place, if you, if you know this Jesus as a savior, I pray that you do. And I pray that if you don't, I pray that you can know the hope. Can I just tell you something? This is just me personally, just from my heart. I can't make sense of suffering in this world without Jesus. I'm just gonna say that again. I'll just be honest with you. Because there's so much suffering, there's so much pain in this world that if I didn't have the hope of Jesus, this world doesn't work for me. It just doesn't. Because if I didn't have hope, then this, I, I would end up being nothing more than the biggest cynic in the world. If there was no Jesus, then I'm like, ah, everybody stinks, everybody, ah, it's terrible anyway, what's the point? I have to have hope. I need the hope, and it's the hope that Jesus provides. It's the hope that's given that says, hey guys, all that pain, all that suffering that, I endure, that you're enduring right now, there's meaning in it. God uses it. There's purpose in it. There's a future coming, that a reality is coming, and there's something happening, and it's all for a purpose. And if I didn't have that, then I don't know if I can go through this life. And that might be just me. But I'm telling you that I need that hope. And for you in this place, if you don't know that hope, you can know it through the form of Jesus. He provides it. He gives it. I talk about this. I don't know if you're playing Waypoint Bingo, but I talk about the human condition. And we want to be known and we want to be loved and we all crave purpose. I believe the human condition is this. We all have a taste also. That's all true, but there's also a part of that that says that we have a taste for what is right and true and just and beautiful in the world. And that exists because God made us in his image. And when we see that when the world is not like that, we notice that there's a discrepancy. There's, we notice there's a disconnect. We know there's an issue. 
And only in the glimmer of hope that comes through the work of Jesus do we see that, yes, that discrepancy can be answered. And what was wrong could be made right. My hope today is this, as we dive into the Psalms, as we, as we dove into the Psalm of Lament, that you feel confident today that you can mourn, that you can weep, and we can acknowledge the brokenness of the world. But you also have hope that you can dance and you can celebrate that even though the world is broken, God's doing something new. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your psalm, psalm that Jesus cried out, that it shows us that we have a suffering Savior. God, a Savior that has been through the worst of pain and suffering and gives us hope in it. God, that we know that there's purpose in it. God, that we have a, a hope of a new reality. So God, we thank you that we're not alone in our pain. We're never alone in our suffering. And we thank you that you've given us a church family to remind us and help us know what to pray and how to pray. We thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.